0: True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live, and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Arena Holdings and its affiliates. The following episode may contain sensitive material, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counselling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. This is a Spotlight Minisode in which we discuss cases that are in the media at the moment as well as related topics. This Spotlight Minisode is sponsored by the Polo Fields Crossing Bookve. I know that so many of you are major bookworms like me, Polo Fields Crossing in Waterfall, Johannesburg, is hosting a Bookworm's Delight. The Polo Field Crossing Book Fair is being held from the 24th to the 26th of September in support of Hospice Witz. The book fair will feature a book tent with second-hand books for sale, as well as talks by authors including Janine Lazarus, who recently released Bates a book detailing her experiences with the Norwood serial killer. Janine will be speaking on Saturday, the 25th of September at 11 o'clock. You can also head over and donate any books that you have to Hospice Wits. All funds raised through the event will be donated to Hospice Wits, an NPO that supports families in Johannesburg and Soweto. So get your true crime and bookish fixes this weekend, and support a good cause at the same time. Before we get into today's minisode, I'd like to thank our new Patreon supporters. A huge thank you goes out to Janine, Jason Vardy, Maxine Belej, and Steve Meiring for your support on Patreon, as well as Carla De Silva for your support on PayPal. Thank you so much everyone, your support really does make a huge difference, if you'd like to support the show on Patreon or PayPal, I'll leave a link in the show notes. There are now additional ways that you can support the show, with two online businesses providing 10% discounts when you use the code TCSA10 at checkout. You can get your health and beauty needs at King Online, and you can also get your printing requirements designed, printed and delivered by Print Crowd. You can also help to support me as an individual creator by checking out the companion podcast I created with Showmax for the Devil's Dorp documentary or by purchasing the Krugersdorp Cult Killings audiobook, which I narrated, on Audible, Google Playbooks or Apple Podcasts. As always, any form of support is greatly appreciated and it doesn't have to be financial. Sharing of episodes, inviting your friends and family to listen and interacting on social media all go a long way to keep the show growing and improving. You can also leave a review on the podcast app you use to listen. If your podcast platform does not have that option, a Google or Facebook review is equally helpful. In today's Spotlight Minisode, I want to discuss a few different individuals' fights for justice. On the 10th of September, A diverse group of people gathered in Hermanas at 1 o'clock in the afternoon across from the magistrate's court in that town. While most others in the sleepy town that's known for whale-watching opportunities were enjoying lunch or planning their weekends, this group of people were getting ready to speak up against gender-based violence in their community. The group has decided to take a stand against a rising trend they're seeing. Athena Jane Prevey heads up the group's social media efforts, and they've also created a Facebook group called Speak Up Hermanus. The peaceful demonstration held on Friday was covered by a few members of the media, but I think that what these Hermanus residents are doing holds a greater significance for all South Africans – than just what happens within the border of their town. I really believe that this is how we affect real change in the fight against GBV. By focusing on our immediate surroundings. The more we hear about these horrific cases of domestic violence, rape and murder, the more we may feel completely overwhelmed and like there's nothing we can do to make a difference. But Speak Up Hermanus is onto something here. Every time I discuss a case of gender-based violence, I talk about the community that the victim lived in. I talk about the socio-economic circumstances that existed around both the victim and the perpetrator that so often contribute to the offence. While the community cannot hold responsibility for the crime itself, that lies solely with the perpetrator by mobilizing in the way Hermanus is doing i really think we can start to effect real change present at the protest last friday was a representative of the town's local victims organization heavenly promise haven lana o'neill spoke about how they want victims of gbv to be aware that there is help in their town and that they can reach out. And that is one vital half of the equation. Victims need support. They need somewhere to go where they feel safe. The other part of the gender-based violence equation is prevention, though. Focusing on the perpetrators. Because unless we get to the root of the problem, we're really just triaging victims after they've already become victims. Victims of gender-based violence almost always know their attackers. And I think this is why community-level activism is vital. A national organisation may be able to help raise national awareness. But can they really help individuals like Mbali in Kailicha or Mary in Kenton Park, or Bonita in Mitchell's Plain. But people within Mbali, Mary, and Bonita's community might just be able to help. Because those people will likely know those women, and they might just know the perpetrators of their abuse too. And don't get me wrong here, I'm not talking about vigilante justice or burning people at the stake. I'm talking about community-level awareness, and communities taking action when a situation looks dangerous. I salute the people of Hermanus for taking action within their own community, and I urge everyone to support their social media awareness campaigns, even if you don't live in the area. We need action like this in every community, and Hermanus is as good a place to start as any. The next case I want to discuss with you contains descriptions of injuries and the death of a child. Please be warned that sensitive listeners may find the details disturbing. In early September, I received an email regarding a case of child rape and murder. In the email, the sender provided details of a case that had occurred in April this year, and included a request from the family of the deceased in the case, that I cover it as it unfolded. At this point, I am going to be keeping the identities of the accused in the case to myself, as there is a surviving minor child also involved, and revealing the identity of the accused will also reveal the identity of the minor. As the case progresses, if their identities are revealed, I will reveal them too. In April this year, adult siblings we will call Bob and Mary booked into a hotel in Midrand with their respective children. Mary's daughter was two and a half years old, and Bob's daughter was one years old. Bob and Mary had booked into a hotel for a period of what they said was fasting and prayer. They remained in the hotel for three days. Half an hour before midnight on the 10th of April, the couple attempted to leave the hotel with the bundle wrapped in a towel. A hotel employee noticed blood dripping from the bundle and police were summoned to the scene. Inside the towel police found the body of Mary's two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. We'll call her Baby A. Both Bob and Mary were arrested, and Bob's one-year-old child was taken to a place of safety and then handed over to the child's mother. It would emerge that Bob's child's mother had opened a case of kidnapping, as he had disappeared with the child without her consent. It would also emerge that Mary's partner, the father of baby A, had been in an eight-month court battle to attempt to gain visitation with the girl after Mary had denied access to her. The first and only article about this case appeared on the News 24 platform on the 14th of April when Bob and Mary first appeared in Weinberg Magistrates Court. The bail application would go on for five months and the family have been told by several members of the media that it is unlikely the case will gain media attention again because the bail application process was so protracted. This is one of the reasons that I have chosen to cover this ongoing case. At one of the bail hearings it would emerge that baby A had been raped, beaten and strangled to death. On the 30th of August Just two days after what would have been baby A's third birthday, both Bob and Mary were denied bail. The family has been told that the trial will commence on the 13th of October. The case has been escalated to the Provincial Investigation Unit, according to Brigadier Matepello Peters, for two reasons. Firstly, there is allegedly evidence of some form of cult-related activity, I would assume this stems from the perpetrators' claims that they were in the hotel for some sort of religious practice. And the second reason Peters provides for the escalation is that the SAPS has taken a stance to prioritise investigations involving women and children. I don't think that I even need to point out how absolutely horrific this case is the fact that a mother is somehow involved in the rape and murder of her own child is just unspeakable. When I spoke with F.H. Havenkau for the Devil's Dorp series, we discussed how people find it so difficult to believe that a mother could put her children in harm's way because she's so obsessed with and conditioned by a cult-like leader. In that case, of course, We were talking about Marinda Stain and how she'd led her children, Leroux and Marcel, to commit murder. F. H. Havengaard has dealt with many cases of ritualistic abuse in his career, and he says that he has seen how mothers can become so deeply conditioned that they will be convinced that they are doing something good by giving up their children to abuse or even murder. It is far too early to say what sort of cult-like activity, if any, Bob and Mary may have been involved with, and of course these details will emerge during the trial. As you know, I usually stay away from active cases, but I've chosen to cover this one and will update you with the details as they're revealed in court. I have asked the family whether the accused provided any indication as to what their defence might be and I await that information. As I have discussed before, South Africa is a country ripe for cult-like activity and I think incidents like this happen more than we know. What I don't want, however, is for Baby A's murder to be overshadowed by any possible cult elements in this case. In April 2021, Four human beings went into a hotel room, and only three came out alive. Two of those people were adult caregivers, responsible for protecting the two children, and no matter what was going on in their heads at the time, they hold ultimate responsibility for what happened to baby A. I'll keep you updated on this case as it progresses. I guess I can't let a spotlight so go by this week without mentioning the case that's on many people's lips. Rosemary Ndlovu Ndlovu is currently on trial for six murders. She is an ex-police officer and is accused of arranging the murders of five family members as well as her own boyfriend. The alleged motive? Money. Ndlovu is accused of hiring hitmen to kill six people between 2012 and 2018. She would take out life insurance on these people and then arrange their murders. She is believed to have netted 1.5 million rand from these crimes. Ndlovu was arrested during a sting operation in which she attempted to arrange the murders of her sister as well as her sister's five children. The youngest child at the time was five months old. In video footage from the undercover operation, she is seen driving the hitman, who is actually an undercover police officer, out to Bushbuck Ridge, five hours from Johannesburg, to show the man where her sister lives. She is also heard explaining to the man how he should break in through a window and set fire to the house with all six occupants inside. Nglourvu's defence is very simply that she didn't do it. She claims that the six murders she is accused of had nothing to do with her, and that the further six murders she is accused of planning were never supposed to happen. She says that she was coached by the undercover police officer about what she should say in the video. Ex-colleagues of Nglourvu's have testified as to how generous the woman was with money, and how she seemed to have far more money than a normal police officer. It's also emerged that Ndlovu may have stolen police firearms while on duty. Despite the very serious allegations against her, Rosemary Ndlovu has been light-hearted in court. In the past week, she joked with photographers and posed for them, Telling them that she'd put makeup on just for them that morning, she also tells journalists, "Who would have thought that Rosemary and would be famous?" She broke down in tears when she was questioned about the murder of her boyfriend. The man was stabbed more than eighty times, and Lawvu received one hundred and thirty-one thousand rand in life insurance after his death it is believed that the man's signature on the life insurance policy was forged. Ndlovu is alleged to have taken out life insurance policies on the deceased without their knowledge. And I've seen many people asking, but how were the life policies taken out without their consent? Well, really, it's actually not that difficult. According to the MyWay website, If you wish to take out life insurance on another person, you have to prove that you have an insurable interest. So you can't take out insurance on some random stranger's life, but you can take out insurance on your parents, spouse, or anyone else whose death will result in a financial loss to you. Most insurance companies will require the insured person to sign their acknowledgements of the insurance and the appointments of beneficiaries is supposed to still be done by the insured person. That is what is supposed to happen. And perhaps in the days when everything was done in person and a broker still visited you at your house, it would have been more difficult to get around this. But when I took out life insurance on myself, no one had any way of actually proving that I was who I said I was. Everything was done online. I spoke to them on the phone and sent through my ID documents and signed papers by email. I could have been anyone. I could have been Rosemary and Lovu. In the past, most life insurers wanted to perform medical exams including blood tests, before insuring a life. But today, most insurers just ask questions about your health, and if you're found to have lied after your death, your policy is null and void. So, how can you protect yourself from becoming a victim of the type of criminal that Rosemary and Lawvu is alleged to be? The first way is to question everything and everyone. If you're not a significant breadwinner in the home and your partner suddenly wants to ensure your life for millions of rand, ask why. If you suddenly start receiving strange requests for personal information, even if it's from a family member, ask why. Do not ever sign any document without first verifying that you know what you're signing, no matter who presents that document to you. Keep your identity documents in a secure location. Unfortunately, there is no single database at this point where you can input your details and see whether your life is insured anywhere. There is a website I came across called verify.co.za, which claims to provide you with a report of all your policies and investments. If anyone has used this service, please let me know. I wasn't going to test it for this mini-sode, as I have an issue handing out my personal identifying information online. It may well work, so you can try that if you want to. I have also come across information online claiming that with the implementation of the Protection of Personal Information Act, life insurers are bound by law to tell you if there is a life insurance policy in your name with them. I was unable to confirm how this process would work though, and really, you would still need to make contact with every insurance company in South Africa. The sad fact about the Ndlovu case is that if she is guilty of committing the crime she's accused of, she took advantage of those closest to her, and this is a continuing theme in many of the cases we discuss here on the podcast. It is not strangers you need to worry about. It's those closest to you that 9 times out of 10 are the ones that are the most dangerous. If anyone listening works in the life insurance industry, please make contact with me so that I can gather some real-world info for future minisodes on this case so that we can all understand exactly how we can protect ourselves. Before I go, I'd like to play a promo for a true crime podcast called True Crime Horror Story. I am your host, JD Horror, and this is True Crime Horror Story, a true crime podcast designed like an anthology horror movie. It's definitely not for the faint of heart and never played for laughs. Listener discretion is strongly advised. In seasons one and two, we highlighted both notorious and obscure incidents of real-life murder, from world-famous psychopaths like the Toolbox Killers and the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez, to lesser-known evils that you may not have heard of, but have effects just as catastrophic for the victims and their families. Season three is coming soon, so subscribe now wherever podcasts can be consumed, and check out our website at www.truecrimehorrorstory.com. True Crime Horror Story. Sometimes truth is more brutal than fiction. And that is your Spotlight Minisode for the week. If you enjoyed this Minisode, please be sure to subscribe to the show on the platform you're using to listen right now. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'll be back next Friday with a full case episode. Until then, as always, thank you for your support and I'll chat to you soon.